Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Christ. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have indeed come to seek out the lost. Seek out us today, we who are lost in so many ways. Grant that we may be drawn ever closer to you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, hard to believe, but we're about to come to the end of another church year. And that means that our lectionary, that's the calendar of scripture readings that we follow on Sunday mornings through the year, will be making a shift. Uh, Maybe most of you know this, but uh, let's just do a quick review. The the lectionary is a three-year calendar, and in each of those three years, we mostly hear from one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, And then, particularly during the Easter season, uh, we sort of fill in some blanks with uh, John in all three years. Well, uh, we've been reading Luke this year, but four weeks from today, on the first Sunday of Advent, we begin again with Matthew. And since we're leaving Luke for a while, I wonder what you might have learned about his gospel over the past year. What can you tell me about Luke and his gospel. Those of you that typically come uh, to church on Thursday morning are particularly on the spot here because a couple weeks ago was the festival of St. Luke and we talked a lot about him. But uh, I imagine the rest of you know uh, something about uh, Luke as well, either either the man or the gospel or both. So what do you know? What can you tell me? 
He was a physician. Good. John? He wrote the uh, Acts of the Apostles. He also wrote the Acts of the Apostles. That's correct. What else? He's very technical in his writings. That's good, Ray. He, he shows... Uh, that he is a physician by the fact that he uses a lot of rather technical medical terms when he's talking about healing miracles and so forth. You know, he doesn't just say cold, he says bronchitis and, you know, that, that kind of thing. What else? John again? He thinks highly of women. Yes, uh, that's right. He probably tells us more stories that involve women and shows us Jesus in, in more um, sort of conversations with women than any of, of the others. Uh, he was also a, a companion of the Apostle Paul, traveled around with Paul. And of course, Paul was the great missionary to the Gentiles. And so Luke, more than any other gospel, shows a great deal of interest in people beyond just those in Israel. He's the one, for example, that tells us the parable of the Good Samaritan. Of course, the Samaritans were the hated enemies of of the Jews. Luke also emphasizes God's love for various people within Israel who were outcasts for various reasons. Women, we've already said, also children and tax collectors and sinners of all descriptions. But perhaps Luke's most striking concern is for the poor. For Luke, usually rich people turn out to be the bad guys. We heard uh, just a few weeks ago the story of Lazarus and the rich man. No, Lazarus is in heaven, and where's the rich man? Uh, The other place, yeah, yeah. Uh, And uh, we heard uh, uh, also uh, a story about uh, uh, the uh, the, uh, parable of the rich fool, you know, the guy who said, oh, I'm going to build more houses and more barns and make more and more money and And God says to him, you fool, this very night your life is required of you. In Luke's picture of Jesus, the rich just don't come out very well at all. Except in this morning's story. First, the setting. Jesus is passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover In the next few days, he's going to be arrested and tried and crucified. This is his his last uh, journey to Jerusalem before his death. And the encounter with Zacchaeus probably takes place, if we were to calendar it, it's on the day right before Palm Sunday, right before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, because Jericho is just like a, a suburb of Jerusalem. And at this point in the story, things are happening really fast. The crowds are swelling around Jesus. They're lining the streets as he passes. You know, they've heard that he may be the Messiah, and so they're giving him a hero's welcome. Just before coming to Jericho, Jesus encountered a rich man who asks him about eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life. I don't think we got that story in the lectionary this year. That's one that pops up in one of the other Gospels as well, and that's the year that we hear it. But it's just a few verses before this morning's Gospel lesson. And what does Jesus say to the rich man? Give it all away. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And Luke tells us that the man went away in dismay. And why would that be? 
was rich. <laughs> he loved his possessions more than his soul. Exactly. But he wasn't the only one that was um, puzzled or even offended by what Jesus said because the disciples think, oh, that sounds weird. And so they ask Jesus about it. And Jesus hammers the nail in even harder. He says how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. It would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the disciples were shocked. They immediately said, well, if it's like that, then who can be saved? And, you know, Jesus gets that little smile on his face and he says, no, what's impossible with human beings is possible with God. And they're thinking, hmm, what does that mean? And as Jesus enters Jericho, those words are still in the ears of those who heard them. They're still rattling around in their hearts and minds. What did Jesus mean? So now switch the scene to Jericho and to this man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is generally despised in Jericho. And I suspect it started out when he was just a little kid because Zacchaeus was always really short. How short was he? Well, Luke doesn't tell us, but let's, let's imagine. Let's say he was four feet tall. No doubt when he was a child, other children made fun of him and laughed at him, as children often do to someone who's too short or too tall or too fat or too thin or just different in any way. And a lot of kids just kind of learn to take the kidding and forget about it, but then sometimes it hurts too much to just forget about it. And I'll bet that was the case with Zacchaeus. He was always the butt of the joke because of his height, and so he just stopped playing with other kids and decided he would just live his life for himself and forget about all the other people. You know, it's kind of like the old Simon and Garfunkel song. He'd be a rock, he'd be an island, because a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. And then when he grew a little older, he got the chance to take a job as a tax collector. Now, a faithful and devout Jew would never accept that job. Why not? Because then you were working for the Romans. You were a collaborator, a, a, a traitor against your own people. And it was to be despised and hated by everyone in town. But, you know, Zacchaeus figured, yeah, they already hate me, so why not? And before too long, the Romans had made him the head tax collector for the whole city of Jericho. A very lucrative position because Jericho was a major business center and, well, what does that mean? There were lots of taxes to be collected. You should also know that in Israel at this time, tax collectors were not only traitors, they were crooks. If the Roman tax was $1, the tax collector would charge 3 give $1 to the Romans and keep that nice $2 profit for himself. I mean, that's how they got rich. No wonder Zacchaeus became a wealthy man, rich and crooked and selfish and very much hated by everyone else. But 
Zacchaeus, for all his pretensions of being a rock and an island, was not happy. He had this longing in his soul, this hunger, this thirst for something else. He he didn't know what. He was like so many of us today, you know, rich in material goods and yet empty inside. There's a great line in one of our hymns, rich in things but poor in soul. So comfortable and yet so strangely unsettled. He was looking for something. Just like people today who look for happiness in possessions or money or status or recreation or maybe in a bottle or in a needle, but like people today, he wasn't finding happiness in any of those places. And then he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming to to town, and, and maybe he'd heard stories about Jesus befriending tax collectors. I mean, that kind of thing gets around, you know. Maybe he heard that Jesus had even asked one tax collector named Matthew to be a disciple. And Zacchaeus thought maybe he'd have a look at this Jesus. And so he went out into the streets to catch a glimpse. But when he got there, he couldn't see a thing. Why not? It was too short. And the crowds were too thick. And and frankly, no one would let him through because he was the tax collector. And when he went out in a crowd, you know, he was lucky to make it home without being kicked or pushed or spat upon or glared at or cursed at. And especially at Passover, when anti-Roman sentiment among the Jews was at its height. And so Zacchaeus ran on ahead where the crowds had not yet gathered and and he shinnied up a tree like, like a young boy. Now that tree was going to serve two purposes for him. First, he's going to be able to see Jesus when he passed by. But what else? Ah, he can hide. Nobody will see him up there. See, Palestinian sycamore trees had very thick leaves. And so Zacchaeus could cover himself and avoid the insults and the cruel remarks that seemed to follow him wherever he went. So he hid in his tree. And soon the crowds had reached the place where he was. They were milling around below him. And and as he looked down, peered through the leaves down from his hiding place, he suddenly saw Jesus. In fact, Jesus stopped right under that sycamore tree. And he looked right up at Zacchaeus. I imagine Zacchaeus tried to get back behind the leaves. I mean, all he needed was for this Messiah to start berating him for his sins. And in that Passover crowd, Zacchaeus would be a goner for sure. But it was too late. Jesus saw him. Zacchaeus, he said, hurry on down. I'm going to have supper with you tonight. Well, Zacchaeus hardly knew what to do. This was... Maybe the first time anybody'd spoken his name with anything but contempt for years. And oh, he wanted to come down. He wanted to take Jesus home and feed him supper. On the other hand, he also kind of wanted to just disappear into the tree before they started up on him again. So he's got these conflicting emotions, but he realizes that for him, it's now or never. If he delayed, 
If he tarried, then Jesus would be gone, gone on the road to Jerusalem. And so in an instant, just like that, Zacchaeus climbed down out of his tree and took Jesus home for supper. Now, there was some murmuring about this among the crowds. No one really had come near Zacchaeus' house for many years, and here Jesus was going right inside to have supper. But I imagine Zacchaeus was too busy to even notice this murmuring. I mean, think about it. If somebody comes unexpectedly for, for dinner, there's a lot to do. And he was also just very excited. He was overjoyed that such an honor would come to him, that Jesus would stop with him, a tax collector, an outcast. But in that brief visit, in that supper, Zacchaeus found his life changed. And he stood up and made an announcement. Lord, he said, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor and, 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 and everybody that I've defrauded as a tax collector, I'm going to pay them back four times what I stole from them. And Jesus smiled again. Today he said, Salvation has come to this house. Jesus had said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. So how, the disciples asked, can anyone be saved? Well, Jesus said, with human beings it's impossible, but not with God. Zacchaeus, rich, crooked, Isolated, outcast, hated by all, Zacchaeus finds salvation because Jesus Christ stops to visit him. With God, it is possible. With God, it is possible for even Zacchaeus to learn to love and to give. It's such a dramatic and touching story, and I, I suppose its impact is greatest if I just let it sink into our hearts the way it is without much more commentary. But I do have to say one more word about Zacchaeus. He is, like so many of us, modern men and women, in spite of all his riches, in spite of all his wealth, he knows something is missing. And so, like so many modern women and men, he set out to find what it is. What he found was quite different from what he expected. Because, you see, he expected a magnificent Messiah, somebody that would tell him clearly what to think and what to do and every little thing about how to live, and somebody that would take away all of his pain and all of his uh, grief and, and all of the things that had made him an outcast, somebody that was going to make his life perfect. And what he found was Jesus, who simply said, Hey, Zacchaeus, invite me home for supper. And that's the Jesus that we still encounter today. 
He's not all that spectacular by human standards. He's not this, you know, white knight savior who rights all the wrongs we've experienced and, and takes away all our pain and all our trouble and suddenly makes our lives full of roses and happiness and good cheer. He simply calls out our name and offers to come into our life. He offers to love us and care for us even if nobody else does. And for those of us who respond like Zacchaeus, for those who hurry on down from their sycamore tree hiding places and say, yes, Lord, do come in, for those who are willing to welcome him and trust him, well, that unpretentious Jesus becomes salvation and life itself. His promises are for those who welcome him. For all those who welcome him, short or tall, black or white, or red or brown or yellow, good or bad, those promises are for me and for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.